All right, guys, I'm here at NAB with Devin. Devin and I, first time together in person. We've uh, been doing the podcast for, what, like a year now? Yeah, about. Yeah, so all this time, Devin and I have been corresponding via emails, talking on the show, going over all of our equipment. But this is the first time him and I have really been together to dig in deep into equipment. And where else would we do it but NAB, where there's a lot of cool stuff to dig into. Absolutely. Now, Devin, you flew here separate from me from Chicago. <laughs> yep. Tell us about your flight experience. Uh, well, it's Spirit Airways, which means that, you know, a carry-on's gonna cost you $36. So uh, it was a bit challenging to try to fit all of my personal items and my gear inside of one backpack. Uh, but we'll have a video showing that later, uh, what gear we brought and how we chose to pack it and lay it out. You can't see it right now, but if you look at both of the beds in this room, they are completely spread out with camera kit. Uh, Devin has an entire backpack. I brought a full Tamarack bag. Right now, our camera of choice for NAB this year is the Sony A7S Mark II. We're using my lav kit, which is the Sennheiser G2 unit, and Devin is sporting the... Ceremonic UW Mic yeah. 10 system. <laughs> Either way, this is really great because there's a lot of cool stuff to check out. We've got our gear here. We're going to be doing some comparisons. Devin and I both brought our 25 millimeter f0.95 lenses. You've mm -hmm. got the SLR Magic. And I've got the Voight Lander. Thank you. I can't even remember <laughs> today. And we both only slept a couple hours, so we're a little bit loopy right now. <laughs> Hopefully, we will cover this event, we'll get some little bits and pieces out like this, and if we have time, we'll edit them, post them. Uh, so hopefully you'll be hearing from us the rest of the week, maybe at least once a day, if you're lucky, if we're lucky. And we are really excited about seeing the Canon box that doesn't record video. Actually, I'm not excited at all. Devin, is there anything you're looking forward to at I'm, NAB this year? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to any announcements that any companies uh, may have a possible GH5 or something like that. It's really exciting uh, if that comes out, if that comes to fruition. As well as uh, I am excited for the Canon box that doesn't record video for broadcast purposes, obviously. You don't care because- That thing's like $5,000. Uh, yeah, but also the size and the fact that it's using Canon color and everything else can make uh, it fit into a broadcast workflow. Now, what about the wacky 18 to 80 millimeter T 4.4, $5,000 reasonably priced zoom lens kit lens? Yeah. Uh, I'm all about that because there's lots of uh, situations where I need those kind of. Uh, lenses with motors and servos and rockers and everything else. DJ doesn't care for him. He'll just spin the zoom wheel for himself. But uh, there's a lot of situations where that works, and it's a slower lens for sure, but I think when paired with something that does good low light, like a CU300 or something like that, I think it can actually kind of help to bring more of those cameras into documentary and news gathering situations. Now, Devin and I have already done a walkthrough. You can't get in, actually, but Devin somehow managed to get a <laughs> vendor pass instead of a regular pass, so he's able to poke his head inside. And we are already saw VR advertisements pretty much Everywhere. all over the place. You know, uh, crazy GoPro mounts, all kinds of wacky VR stuff. So I'm kind of figuring this will be the NAB of VR. I don't know if I'm excited to see that. I would like <laughs> to put an Oculus Riff on my head and get seasick and vomit somewhere. So we'll see if we can do that. But we'll get back to you guys later. Thanks for watching and we'll see you next round. All right, I'm here with Devin and we're at NAB waiting for the gates to open, so to speak. They don't let us in until 10 o'clock. You can see there's a mass gathering in the back of the hall by the Sony booth, which means people are gonna rush that booth to touch whatever new comes out of the Sony camp. Now, Devin, what are you excited for at NAB this year? Uh, I'm looking forward to any announcements that we haven't heard yet. Uh, as well 
well as getting my hands on some of the bigger cameras, like maybe the FS7, because um, supposedly with the firmware updates and stuff like that, there's supposed to be a lot of stuff fixed with that, as well as, you know, potentially uh, the Black Magics are finally coming out, those smaller, uh, you know, uh, movie cinema cameras and stuff like that has started coming out. So it's going to be interesting, I think, to walk the entire floor and see what there has to offer, but I'm really excited for it. It's kind of those small niche people that are, have like a certain product that kind of fixes a certain problem. And whether or not that fixes my problem, I always find that fascinating when there's like a small startup that's like, uh, we found everyone has this problem, we're building this item, and that's what I'm looking for. Now, you've kind of told me back and forth that you were excited about the North Hall, which has all the corporate <laughs> applications, video walls, all the weird like product solutions. What are sure. you excited about in there? Uh, mostly software development stuff, a lot of workflow stuff, a lot of how do you get your video from point A to point B, uh, because with the new uh, ATSC standard, a lot of that stuff's going to change, so there's a lot of companies who are rushing to try to be the first ones to provide a real turnkey solution for broadcast. Well, we are going to start traveling through the NAB booths and figure out what is good to check out and what we like, and we'll probably do little vignettes like this the whole time, explaining what we like, what we don't like, and what we're excited about. So we'll keep you posted as we continue our NAB sort of pseudo coverage. Devin, you got anything else? <laughs> no, I'm just excited to be here. All right, we'll see you after a while. All right, so I'm here with Devin. We've basically been at NAB this entire day. It's been a really long day. We started at 10 a.m. It is now 6 p.m. They're about to kick us out of NAB for the night. We've seen a ton of stuff, lots of cool things, and kind of covered all of the South and Central Hall. We're gonna try and hit the North Hall tomorrow. Devin, tell me a few things that you saw that you were really excited about. <laughs> uh, well, for one thing, I was a little bit excited by uh, uh, Blackmagic announcing their 4K recorder at a very attractive price point, 500, 550, somewhere around that price point for their 4K. I thought it was uh, 849 or 895. No, you're completely right. It was 849. Absolutely 895. right. 895. We've, um, by the yes. way, we're both having <laughs> beers here. Uh, there's been booth parties may not be quite accurate on some of the information we're sharing with you at the end of the show, but, <laughs> but we did film close-ups of everything. We so did, we did film, right. so we have some, some footage that'll prove something uh, that we were here. But uh, the 4K Blackmagic recorder, I was excited about that. Okay. There's lots of drones. I was surprised not to see a whole lot of VR stuff. I really thought 360 was gonna be the thing to be, but the only thing I've seen 360-wise has been GoPro cages, which we've seen a lot of yeah, before. Yeah, there's tons of GoPro cages. Uh, but new is using that new Blackmagic 4K camera, the micro camera, uh, for doing one of those situations, which I think is an ideal use for that kind of camera. But other than that, I've been uh, kind of surprised, not a whole lot of announcements, not seeing anything out of Panasonic's camp in terms of announcements. They seem pretty light this year. Now, what are your thoughts? Well, I want to first of all point out and thank uh, the guys from E1Z Cam. I was complaining yes. today about the lack of batteries and they were kind enough to give me a replacement battery for one of the batteries I lost. So really great guys there. Uh, and they did mention that a firmware version 0.27 is coming out, which uh, will fix a few of the things that I've had issues with with the E1Z cam. And they said new features. Yeah, and well. new features. So really awesome there. One of the things that really surprised me is a company that I haven't thought about in probably like six or seven years. That's Lilliput. If you guys yeah. remember Lilliput, they were the first company to really come out with like a field monitor that was in the price of you know, 100 to 200 dollars, and you can adapt the battery to it and run a field monitor on your DSLR or anything else. Well, they have this really beautiful Q5 and Q7 monitor that are going to be in the price range of around 550 to 650. The uh, Q Q7, I believe, mm -hmm. had uh, SDI outputs as well as HDMI. Uh, inputs and outputs. Uh, it didn't have its own battery solution, you have to provide DC, but the Q5 was a, I would say, almost the same size 
as what the small HD yeah. 501, 502. In terms of thickness, I mean, it wasn't using that wide profile to have the extra scopes and on the sides. If but you remember, still guys, small. the Lilyput monitors in the past have kind kind of had poor industrial design. They like real plasticky, lots of weird buttons on the front. Uh, the design has not been that sleek. But now with the new Q5 and Q7, they look pretty darn sexy, actually. Like good uh, screen resolution, good form factor, and it's either Sony NP or LPE6 batteries for the back blade. That was one of them. The other monitor that I saw that was really kind of caught me off guard was, what was Free World? Uh, yeah, Feel World. Feel, Feel World. A company a that is like you see at the bottom <laughs> of the Amazon list when you're going through things. Not really someone I'm really excited about, but we stopped by their booth and they have a pretty decent looking 5 inch HD panel that is fairly sexy actually. And yeah. it looked really good, uh, very bright, uh, also capable of running off of batteries. Not as good of an industrial design as the Lilyput that we looked at earlier, but uh, it's cheaper, four hundred dollars, uh, hundred <laughs> and some dollars less. So sure, maybe that makes well, it valuable. And, and back to the lily put, I think that that totally makes it uh, a possibility, and you'll probably want to pick up and play with it mm -hmm. more. But uh, lily put also, which I was kind of surprised with, actually had rack mounted monitors, and so for people interested in broadcast and other applications like that. Uh, kind of a go-to has been Black Magic, where they have two small five, six-inch uh, LCDs inside of a 2U rack mount. And the reason for that is because while Marshall is considered the best and everything else, Black Magic's so cheap that even if it burns out in a few years, nobody cares they'll buy another one. Uh, and to see Lilyput actually put out one of those products uh, for $500 is a really attractive price point for people who are trying to add monitors to a rack mount system that's compact. They get a couple of inputs. And I saw SDI in the back there, and I also saw Ethernet too, so I'm not clear if there's IP control over it or anything like that. Are you that, sure but... they're not just using the Ethernet for like a tally light on uh, It's very likely, because it did include tally lights too, which is another thing I don't uh, uh, expect from Lilyput. I mean, they had tally lights on a few of their things, but the, the way it always wired up was kind of gain... Uh, janky compared to other systems I know. So seeing that kind of rack-mounted system, I'm like, oh, okay. Like It almost seems like they're kind of gunning at some of the Blackmagic products in terms of pricing. Now, one of the other cameras that caught Devin and I both off guard was the JVC LG whatever-300. <laughs> and I say whatever because I, there's some other letters probably in there. But we were able to get to the booth and play around with this camera that we've kind of talked about off and on for a number of shows. We both wanted to see it, and finally we got our hands on it. And it was a surprise. Devin, you saw it. Like <laughs> it was not what we were expecting. Not at all. But that whole 35 or you know, super 35 millimeter sensor that we hear about all the time didn't work the way we thought. No, uh, it, it was fascinating because while they do say 4K, uh, the real selling point of that camera is the fact that when you shoot 1080 with it, it treats that entire sensor sampling area as a zoom. And normally when you say words like digital zoom, people kind of cringe and is like, oh, that's but not great. But it's a one-to-one -one pixel, right? Well, it'll, it'll zoom down to a one-to-one -one pixel. And the thing that I was really surprised with as somebody who's used a lot of servos and a lot of quality ENG lenses is the fact that uh, that rocker that they had on there for zooming in and out felt just like a DVX-100B. It felt just like an actual servo zoom, even though it's digitally resampling the sensor down to that 1080p level for a one-for-one. -one. So the details always there, uh, the bokeh is always there, as well as your focus and everything else. So it can turn a prime lens 
into uh, somewhat of a range, not crazy, but that range of 4K down to 1080p, which kind of gives you a little bit of room to use a prime lens and still kind of reach around. I see it being really popular, not just for weddings where you want to throw some really nice primes on there and really yeah. blow out the background, but I also see it being very popular for uh, smaller internet studios where they just want a little bit of zoom just if they need to reframe something and kind of cut something out or expand a little bit and they can use really cheap like Roking on Prime lenses for it and get a really great image out of this camera and ship off 1080p where normally like really nice ENG lenses you're talking about more than $5,000. Now I think didn't they mention there was some kind of deal right now where they're offering up two Rokinon lenses and the LG 300 camera for like $4,200. They weren't really sure on that, yeah. but uh, it was really interesting to get our hands on the camera itself. Also, was there some digital zoom on the 4K? There, uh, there was well. a slight like bit. 0.8% digital yeah, zoom? Yeah, a, a 0.8x zoom, which is not very much, but it does mean you have a little bit of room to reframe because their sensor is slightly over a 4K size. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, is there, were there any other cameras I'm missing that we were excited about? We, we okay. <laughs> I want to put this out there because people are always complaining, like, you don't give the XC10 a chance. And so Devin and I both stopped by the XC10 and That's checked right. it out. We played around with it a little bit. My impression was it felt really cheap, honestly. Uh, <laughs> it does have a really good ten, uh, you know, 4K codec, but it, the camera I'll, itself, Devin, you... I'll say it. I, I was extremely disappointed. Uh, for a, Especially a camera with a fixed lens, the quality of that lens I expect to be somewhat top-notch because you can't replace it, you can't put cheap stuff on it, you're stuck with this lens, so that's part of the camera when yeah. you review it. And uh, first I thought maybe it was just because this camera may have been abused because it's a demo unit, but actually as we went around the show floor and there was other vendors who were showing you know, this camera as a, you know, a way to use their product, every XC10 I looked at, when you zoomed all the way in, that lens was very loose. It was and flexible. Like it, we could literally get like a quarter to eighth of an inch of and, press out. And of when it. you zoom all the way in and it jiggles, the image will shake. And some people may be like, oh, you put on tripod. You don't touch the lens hood when you're operating the camera. But I'm like, if I'm moving the camera and I'm doing handheld or I'm in a car, that lens bouncing around is going to be complete garbage. So that for me right there is a deal breaker. I'm like, if the lens is really that crappy when I zoom all the way in, in terms of like staying fixed on what yeah. I'm zoomed at, then <laughs> then it's not even worth considering. No matter what the bit rate is and the quality and everything else, it just means it's something I'm going to have to fight every single time I shoot with that camera. Now, one last thing I want to mention before we get out of here for our first day at NAB is the, was it Bruno? Uh, Benro. Are you Benro. Benro? I'm sorry. Like, you get so many names thrown at you, you gotta mix it up. But Benro, a company that I haven't really paid much attention to in the past, has some tripods that are, are new on the market. And Devin and I were kind of playing around with the heads, and they felt really good, surprisingly good. <laughs> and one of the things Devin pointed out that I wasn't aware of, and it's really interesting, is that with the Manfrotto 503 uh, HDV heads that I normally use, they don't have an adjustment for the spring tensioning capabilities for a camera mounted on there. So you're basically stuck with working within that like 10 to 14 pound range that is the optimal level for the 503s and same with the 701s and the 501s and so on. Devin pointed out <laughs> that the Benro has an adjustable spring tensioner that actually clicks into place, you can feel it, yeah. and it's capable of handling cameras up to like 25 pounds and down to you know DSLR level because of that adjustment. Well, and I think that's something because you spend so much on a head when you really start to get into shooting, you want a quality head that's gonna last you for basically 20 or 30 years. A lot of people buy heads and they never look back. 
uh, in a lot of the Manfrotto's, and while we know Manfrotto is a quality product, uh, a lot of their lower end, lower tier price stuff does not include that adjustable thing. And while uh, DJ didn't exactly explain it, uh, what, <laughs> what that's useful for is that... Uh, Good drinking, guys. <laughs> what's that useful for is that that spring tensioner being adjustable uh, a lot of Manfrotto's kind of have it built in for a certain amount of pounds. And what people don't realize is when you tilt your camera forward or backwards, you're offsetting the center of mass. So when you tilt it forward, the camera may want to fall forward. And, yeah. and we've all experienced that before. That's what that tensioner is supposed to pre uh, pre uh, prevent so that when you tilt it forward, it sticks. And when you tilt it back, it sticks. And so having that be adjustable means you can run a DSLR, it means that you can run a DSLR, you can run a, uh, you know, a big like ENG camera. Oh my goodness, we're turning out the lights on us. I think it's time for us I to leave. I think that was our note to get out of here, guys. <laughs> so we'll see you next time, uh, probably tomorrow on more coverage of NAB. I really do want to talk about the Panasonic booth. That was a disappointment, yes. but we'll talk about that tomorrow. See you guys next time. All right, guys, so this is day two of NAB. Devin and I have gone through a day slogging through booths, seeing all there is to see, and I've actually got a cheat sheet here so <laughs> we don't miss the stuff we liked and what we didn't like. First, I kind of want to talk about the Indie Pro Power Audio Solutions. This is a really interesting concept. It allows you to combine multiple LPE6 batteries into a pack that can provide up to, I think, was it 70 watts? Uh, yeah, well, they're saying about four batteries together will be yeah, about 70, yeah. Four batteries together, so four LPE6 batteries on a single mount gives you either a 12-volt source or a 7.2-volt source of the voltage regulator and an option for audio adapting. Now, Devin informed me that this has been on the market for a while and I've completely <laughs> missed it, so that thing's pretty sweet and I'm pretty excited about that. Well, and it's not just limited to that. There's also Sony MP that they do. They'll also uh, adapt your gold or V-mount batteries into the DSLR workflow, so actually it's a, lots of different power options for mixing and matching power sources with cameras. Yeah, it seemed like a really good option. Now, you had a camera monitor that was really cute, a really tiny little guy. It's called the E2 Work. Well, that's, that's the company name is E2 Work. Okay. The monitor name, I couldn't even I tell you. I think it was you. just named like mini SD monitor yeah. version one or something like that. Uh, but I appreciated uh, the size of it. It had a bright screen. It looked like IPS wasn't sure on that. But I also appreciate the fact that it had audio meters right on the top there. Uh, and I, I saw it also being used as a rack mountable source too for putting like five or six monitors into a 2U rack mount, uh, which is useful for a lot of different broadcast applications. Now, didn't they have an SDI to HDMI converter too that they, was like really affordable? It, well, it was 300 50, which off the bat doesn't sound affordable, but considering the size is like a stick of gum and the fact that it has a scaler, when you compare this to Blackmagic where they've got a big box that gets pretty hot and it won't do any scaling, it's just a flat conversion between HDMI or SDI, vice versa, yeah. uh, the one you buy will only go one way, so either you buy it to the SDI or to the HDMI, but it didn't get hot at all and it had a built-in scaler, which it looked like it could also change between interlace and non-interlace, so there was a lot of options there where normally you only get those features if you spend $500 on um, you know, different video conversions. So. Yeah, now how was it powered? Was it USB? It, yeah, it was a micro USB plug, so I imagine it's running an amp or two amps through that. Yeah, so that little mini monitor we're talking about, that has its own internal battery and it's charged via USB. They said, I think, two hours runtime on yeah. that. So that's a pretty decent deal. The next thing up on the list is actually the tiny Panasonic booth. Now we were all Well, for hoping, the Lumex cameras, that part yes, was tiny. The rest the booth of the booth was, was big. Really big. But they were focusing mostly on their bigger camera lines, you know, the Vericam and so on. Their as well as their camcorders and things like that. Yeah, that's mostly what they're showing off. The GH4 section was like about this big. It's really tiny. It's kind of disappointing. We were all expecting to see a GH5 this year, and we probably will see it towards the end of the year, but we're not seeing it here at NAB. Yeah. Uh, Devin, do you think they're kind of holding off and focusing on their higher-end camera lineup before they introduce a GH5? 
Uh, I think, yeah, there's, they're bringing a lot of uh, t technology. I think they, they may be kind of like scared by JVC, who has been like, even though they haven't gotten a lot of attention, I think they've been producing some really interesting products that have some really solid image quality and some interesting features as well as JVC pushes for the college sports market and yeah. everything else with their feature set. And I think Panasonic is trying to make sure that they don't lose ground in that area, so they're focusing on their camcorders. Now, Besides that disappointment, there was a lot of good stuff we saw. I want to talk about the Triad Orbit. This is an interlock system that allows you to basically bolt in with a like slide collar type lock, uh, microphones, stands, mounts, anything you can think of. And it's $19 for the receiver, and I think it was like 10 or 15 bucks for the adapter it, portion that goes in there. So it was pretty affordable, especially considering it was strong. Yeah. Like, like fully, some kind of aluminum, it but super tough. It uses a hexagonal shape, so you can turn your mic and slam it in in any direction you want. Really good for boom poles. Uh, excellent, it's supposed to be hitting the market with the individual components in about two months, and right now you can buy it as a kit for 130 or 140 bucks. Lots of different kits. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of different accessories. Really interesting product. I really like the idea that I can just slap a monitor or slap a light source or hook a mic into my boom pole without having to worry about sort of screwing things in, unscrewing and things and so on and we actually were at the lilliput booth trying to yeah. do some stuff with their monitors mm -hmm. and we had to fiddle around with unscrewing stuff and screwing stuff back in where it would have been really nice if we had one of those and it just pop and pop yep, yep. really cool product next on the list well wow, do you want to talk about drones because they have an entire it really drone was pavilion. nothing yeah i mean nothing really new i mean of course there was a few big drones and there was a few that were advertising drones that can carry up to 65 pounds uh, with uh, multi-motor failure modes and parachute systems that can carry reds and control the reds in the air and everything else. Um, most of these are the kind of systems that you know are built for boutiques that actually yeah. do that every single day. Uh, in terms of the consumer market, the stuff we're interested in, besides the Phantom 4, which has been out for a while, we've all seen it, yeah. and the R3D, it's just the same stuff we've seen from last year. So there really hasn't been any new innovations from DVI, DJI this year. I think they're focusing on their Osmos and yeah. that kind of stuff. I was kind of expecting to see more VR, but we've only seen like, what, three or four VR booths? Yeah, it seemed like the software people were really interested in VR, and a few of the booths were just kind of showing off, hey, you can stack together GoPros or Blackmagic cameras for VR. But once again, like, we went all over the floor and there was only a couple of booths with actual VR headsets. Now, while we're talking about GoPro, let's talk about some GoPro accessories. We've got those really cute Luma Cube lights. Yeah. And they're these little tiny lights that have about an hour worth of battery power and maybe 40 minutes depending on the brightness you set them at. They're capable of putting out about, what, 1,500 nits? 1,500, yeah. And they're about the size of a well, maybe three or four dice stacked together. Really mm -hmm. tiny. You can buy a kit of them for, uh, I think four pack is like two ninety nine. Yeah. Or they're about a hundred bucks a piece. And they're really tiny. You can grab a handful of these. The light output is so strong. And they're 85 CRI. So that's yeah. pretty decent. And you can for their carry size, these yeah. for their size. You can have an entire little mini lighting kit in a bag that takes up very little space. And they're waterproof. Uh, they actually were demonstrating them underwater. Yeah. And you unscrew the back and they have a USB port that allows you to charge them. Or extend the power of their battery life as well. Exactly. A very slick design. Well, and as well, because of that small size, it, it kind of is like the GoPro of lighting because it gives you so many mounting options that you maybe wouldn't consider before. They're light enough. You could just take some gaff tape and stick it to a wall if you have to. So Absolutely. And one other tiny light that I really liked was, I think it was called the Aladdin. 
You remember yes. that? Yes. It's a really thin panel. It has about an hour of battery life built in. Again, USB powered, but it's a bigger panel, about the size of a GH4 body as far as the width and height goes, and probably as thick as a cell phone. But it puts out a lot of light. Uh, two or three of these can be used in conjunction to, to do really decent lighting setup. And with a battery pack attached to it via the USB port, you can run pretty much all day. We saw a couple of these being used, talked to people that were using them, and they look really sweet. Little spendy. I think they yeah. were like 500 bucks a pop. They, and by little spendy, I mean a lot spendy compared to the 299 option. Right, and you are you are getting a really high. I think they're advertising over 95 CRI. Yes, yes. Uh, so they're all about the light quality, and a lot of them are color changeable in terms yeah. of their LED output. Uh, but it's one of those two that if you really consider low light cameras like an A7S, uh, these kits, even though they may not produce the most light with gigantic bulky, bulky batteries, you can set up a three-point lighting system with something that fits inside your pocket. It's absolutely crazy. I love the idea of being able to just grab like three or four really tiny lights, throw them in my bag, have a power source for them, and not have to worry about any other solutions for going out in the field. Absolutely. I, I don't think it's perfect for everything, but for like basically show up and shoot something really quick and get out of there, it's a really interesting approach. Next thing on the list, and this is actually sort of making GoPros a little bit more useful, is the time code feature that they were showing off. I don't even remember what the booth was, honestly. Do you? Uh, the name of them? Uh, Go something sync. Go sync. But uh, Go, well, yeah, there's, we'll put if, a link you, in the show notes. Yeah, and if you search for, and you'll maybe see in some of the footage, uh, it's a backpack you put on the GoPro that uh, jams in a sync code. And what's nice is that you can use that one backpack to jam sync code into several GoPros. So then when you get into editing, everything lines up. There's no syncing, there's no issues, all your time code's gonna be synced up. The system goes even further because it's actually wireless time code that can extend to multiple cameras and it'll interface with a lot of different cameras ah. too, whether it's a C300 or something bigger and you're trying to get it all together. But in terms of low cost usability, uh, how much was it for I the GoPro backpack? I think it was 249 for the GoPro backpack. Yeah, GoPro so backpack, but only one, and you can do jam syncing by plugging it into each camera after you turn it on and then they'll all be in sync. Yeah, and they had so. a really cool demo where they had uh, maybe eight or ten GoPros just go out from a room and come back into the room and they were showing that off and with the time code made editing really really simple. Uh, last thing on my list here is actually the Liquid Image 4G action camera. Now mm -hmm. we've kind of talked about it in the past. GoPro has been seeing some hard times. They're down, they cut their yes. staff by like 20% or something like that yeah. and the booth is sort of reflecting that. It wasn't a very exciting booth this year. Uh, they were just kind of maintaining status quo. And, yeah. Yeah. and there's a few companies in the South Hall that had some really interesting uh, sort of action cam options, but the, the the key there was that they actually had a 4G wireless pack that was capable of transmitting live streams uh, to YouTube to anywhere else uh, via yeah. the device itself. Well, uh, and the, the Verizon network, uh, if you can imagine a GoPro-sized camera with a small 4G modem that you can absolutely. either attach directly or even use a wire if you say you want it to be a body camera yeah. and use a wire to go up to 4G. They're, they obviously are looking for applications. They talked about sometimes security and monitoring and things like that as well. But The key there was the price, though. It was like 399 for the starter mm -hmm. and 499 for the advanced model. And, and, and while it's not 4K, because you're not going to broadcast oh, yeah, 4K no. over 4G, it is what looks like a solid 1080p camera, just like GoPro, for basically GoPro yeah. pricing, and there's a 4G modem included, and of course you're going to be paying monthlies on that, but still, for that kind of buy-in price, it's super cheap for a good well, camera. Well, imagine if you wanted to cover an event, though, and you could pepper these throughout the oh, event yeah. and live stream, and people could see, like, hey, what's going on behind scenes? So they can see behind the stage, maybe, or they yeah. could see, like, you know, actors getting ready for something, or, you know, any kind of application. The lady there was even mentioning as a security function, or as, like, a meeting function, so if you have a set that you're leaving and going to do something something else and 
you, you're having lunch or whatever and you want to know when they're ready, you can kind of keep an eye on that via your phone and see, oh, okay, these guys have like started to gather back in and I need to get back over there to get back to work again. Yeah. So there's a lot of weird, interesting applications for that. Mm -hmm. Devin, you have anything else you want to add before we get out of here? No, absolutely not. I've been having a blast. <laughs> you can tell that our enthusiasm has sort of worn down a little bit over the last <laughs> day or two of NAB, but it's been fun. We're going to continue to wander around for one more day on Wednesday, and we'll report back tomorrow with what we find and what we like. Thanks, guys, for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow on the next show. All right, guys, so Devin and I have wrapped up our last day at NAB. Uh, it's Wednesday. We're leaving tomorrow. We don't want to stick around for Thursday because that's always hard to manage your stuff at the hotel, so we're flying out in the morning. Uh, we're not going to do a wrap-up show for NAB tonight. We're going to get the videos that we recorded at the show up. There's a few really cool products that we're pretty excited about that uh, will get posted probably by the end of the night. But... Stay tuned for the podcast next week. And Dev and I have a huge list of items that we really actually enjoyed at NAB that we want to talk about and cover and kind of dig a little bit deeper into. And I figured an hour format would probably be the best bet for that sort of coverage as opposed to us just quickly rattling through things we like. So look forward to some really good podcasts coming up with Mitch as well as Devin as we talk about all the things at NAB this year. Thanks guys for watching and we'll see you next episode.